Think of it like this. It's more of an inward leading I feel in my heart. That's kind of what I... I'll describe how to Twitter. It'll be so much easier. Right? Just created the whole world. About to chill for a little bit. Hashtag bless. Hashtag work hard, play hard. You guys, contrary to popular belief, we don't follow God based off of social media. We follow God by faith. Listen, here's what I believe. I believe that one day he's going to send the promised Messiah the same way the scripture said he would. Dad, with all due respect, when's the last time you heard God do anything? 300, 400 years ago? I think it's time to face the facts. There's no God and there's no Savior. Yeah, for once I agree with Seth. If there was a God, the world wouldn't be as crazy as it is right now. Did you see what King Karen just tweeted? I wish God would just post a selfie or something so we know that he's still here. Can you imagine how many likes that would get? <laughs> Guys, listen, God's not going to post a selfie. He's not going to release a new tweet. Here's what he has done, though. He's given us the text of his word. He tells us exactly what to look forward to. He says this, that when the Messiah comes, he's going to give sight to the blind. He's going to let the oppressed go free. He's going to proclaim to everyone that this is the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And most of all, I'm telling you, this is my favorite part, he's going to conquer the whole world. Well, test me when Get that happens. God, if you're real, show me a sign. You got it's a flash flood warning. Oh, Wait. no, man. <laughs> I don't... Nah. nah, I don't think he would do that again. Not like he did in Noah's day. I'm, I'm looking for a rainbow right now, but I, listen, I'll I tell you what. I'll tell you what. A couple of things I know, guys. God is real. He exists. I've had God encounters since I was a young boy up until now. And this much I know, he loves us. Well, maybe one day I'll experience him too. But like God sends a host of angels down proclaiming that the Savior is coming, I'm going to finish this fence in my mind business. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain, and the mountains in reply. Echoing that joyous frame, glory in ex 
shall she stay, oh, Gloria, in X shall she stay, oh. Can we sing that again? Angels, we have heard on high together. Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain and the mountains in reply, echoing that joyous frame. Gloria, in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Shepherds, why shepherds? It's one of the most intriguing parts of the story. The Bible says that when these shepherds had heard the song, glory to God in the highest, and gone and told the people that they knew, the Bible says that they were all amazed at what these shepherds had told them. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name, these next few minutes, There'll be a download from heaven that'll speak specifically and clearly to each one of our lives. Thank you that you visited shepherds to give us good news. Make yourself visible in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to suggest to you today that our culture and our world is experiencing an epidemic. Not just any kind of epidemic, but it's an epidemic of magnanimous proportion. It's affecting our culture. It's affecting our generations. For many people, it's inhibiting them from receiving God's best. It certainly kept people meandering in misery. For some, it's been the catalyst for chaos in their personal life, in their home life, in their work life. There are even some that it's been the avenue for addiction. And it's certainly become a detour for many people when it comes to walking out their destiny. This epidemic keeps showing up in all kinds of places. For some, it keeps them up all night. For others, it keeps them in bed all day. It's emotional in its origin, but it's destructive in its expression. The epidemic I'm talking about is the epidemic of emptiness. We live in a culture where people spend their days moving around, but empty. 
It knows no boundaries. It can happen anywhere and everywhere to anybody. It has no sense of regard for social standing, educational background, ethnicity. It's an epidemic that is eating away at the core of people's lives every day and we have to find an answer. But here's what I know, epidemics are never solved by acquisition. You can't buy enough stuff to make an epidemic go away. You can't change scenery long enough to remove this epidemic. A better job won't change it. Having a ring on your finger won't make it go away. An epidemic needs an antidote. There has to be something that responds to this epidemic. We live in a time in history where our culture is overdosed in celebrity. Ordinary has become marked, described, and forgotten as something that is meaningless and empty and unfulfilling. And because we celebrate celebrity status and we demone and criticize ordinariness, we end up with moms and dads and men and women and students and college students who spend their entire life trying to become a super, you fill in the blank. They wanna be a super dad, a super mom, a super salesman, a super student, in order to somehow believe that their life is of value. The results of trying to become a super individual is that we end up with people or who are far more disconnected than they've ever been. They're disengaged not only from life itself, but they're also disengaged from reasonable choices. Because when you're void, you become vulnerable. You find yourself a victim to tricksters, schemers, plotters, imposters, who constantly show up and wanna take advantage of your emptiness. May I suggest to you that there is a culture in our world today that wants to profit off what you lack. There'll be people this next few weeks who will buy presents for people they don't like, who'll spend money they don't have in order to try to gain some sense of feeling of fulfillment. When in reality, we're facing an epidemic. I think most people in the room today would be aware of the fact that, that we have gained our, our understanding of the Christmas narrative primarily from medieval art, 
and from Hallmark Christmas cards. In other words, when you ask people what happened in the Christmas narrative, most of them will tell you based on something that either came out of a artist rendering hundreds of years ago, a hymn that was written, or a Christmas card they got that they thought had a nice picture on it. But there's certain things in the Christmas narrative that are not in the Bible that we talk about regularly. For example, let me give you an example. We talk about three wise men coming to the manger. The truth of the matter is the Bible doesn't tell us how many men came. It could have been 13 or 15. It could have been six. It could have been seven. There are some historical recordings that there were five to six that came, but we're not sure. And we also know this. The Bible doesn't call them kings. The Bible calls them magi which mean they had been some kind of people who had the ability to offer counsel, give wisdom. They probably were astrologers. That's why they saw the star in the east. They certainly didn't arrive at the manger because the men who came bearing gifts came from other nations and they didn't catch a plane and get there before the baby left the hospital. They made journey on foot, and it's more than likely that most of the wise men arrived somewhere by the time Jesus was a toddler at two or three years of age. But what we do with we three kings, we also do with shepherds. Not intentionally, but sort of unintentionally. There's something about going and looking at a sheepfold and a shepherd, we think, That's, isn't that wonderful? These lovely men who are very gentle, sitting by campfires at night, willing to protect sheep. But if you'll go with me back to the first century, let's, let's try to get a grasp on why shepherds. What is it about shepherds? In the first century, shepherding was one of the least desired occupations in all of Israel. In fact, it was very demeaning and it certainly was very demanding. By nature, shepherds were looked at like cattle rustlers. If they came near your town, buckle your stuff down because something's going to go missing tonight. They were viewed primarily as thieves. They certainly were not dignified and they were not polite. They were by nature men of question. In fact, according to religious law, a shepherd could not even testify in a court case because they were perceived by nature to be liars, untrustworthy. Maybe that's, that's a better word, untrustworthy. So contrary to our Christmas cards and our pretty pictures, they were not a part of the social or the religious elite. But yet, in all the Christmas narrative, one of the things we get is shepherds. Why shepherds? When God got ready to send out his birth announcement, I can remember when Kathy and I had our first babies. Back in those days, you 
you had a child and then you sent out, you got cards that announced the birth of your child and you sent them out in an old fashioned way called mail. And because we were not overflowing in resources, we couldn't buy hundreds of birth announcements. We bought a limited amount of birth announcements and we had to sit down and make the list of who was, who is it that is the most important people that need to know that Amanda's been born? Or Lindsay or Holly? How do we let them know and who is the most necessary to know that our child's been born? Today, today of course, we have social media. So today we put on Facebook our sonogram. And ask crazy questions like, doesn't it look like me? And like, I think, I, all I see is a bunch of gray, just confused. Looks like a television screen from the 60s. But now when the baby's born, how many of you know immediately after the baby's born, we can wrap it up, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and the whole world can know. But in Jesus' day when he was born, there had to be a birth announcement. And when God got ready to make his birth announcement, I imagine he thought to himself, who should I notify first? Who is it that should know first that the Messiah has been born? Who is it I should tell the good news to? Who is it that probably would be the best representative to make known to the whole earth that a king has come? Maybe, maybe I should notify Caesar. I mean, after all, he is the dictator and the emperor of the whole world. So maybe I should have gone to Rome and emphasized to Caesar, the Messiah has come. But Caesar didn't hear anything. Maybe we should tell the governor. Because after all, he ruled Palestine. Maybe we should go to the temple and tell the high priest. Because after all, this was the Jewish Messiah who was going to become the Messiah of the whole world. So maybe we should start with the hierarchy of Judaism and let them know that the Messiah has come. Could it be that we should begin in the capital city? Why not, why not, why are we not in Jerusalem today? Why, why are we not having a parade in Jerusalem to announce that the king has come? Maybe we should gather the wealthy landowners and tell them. But no, 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 no. When heaven takes its counsel on who do we make the birth announcement to, heaven goes to none of those places. Instead, God decides that when I want to make a birth announcement that my son has been born, he chose the most common, the most ordinary, the most unimpressive people in all of Israel. He chose shepherds. Yes, shepherds. You say, Bishop, what is this all about? Let me, let, me tell you what, let me tell you where I'm going because see, in this room today, everybody in this room, most everybody in this room, there may be a few exceptions, but most everybody in this room should take great comfort in the fact that God decided to introduce himself to the world through shepherds. Because the truth of the matter is, is God was letting the whole world know that my son coming has no place he can't 
reach. And no arena that is off limits. Nobody is so far gone that he cannot be reached with my good news. Because the first thing he says is to a group of shepherds outside of Bethlehem who were going through, watch this, going through the ordinariness of their life. He announced to them with a heaven's choir that unto you is born this day in the city of David. Isn't that interesting? Not in the city of Jerusalem, not in the city of Bethlehem, but in the city of David, in Bethlehem, David himself being a shepherd, in the city of David is born to you. You shepherds. Got no help. Born to you. A savior. Which is Christ the Lord. Born to you who are not famous. Born to you who are not privileged. Born to you who are not wealthy or rich or high ranking. Born to you who didn't graduate from the best schools. Born to you who may not even have any religious background. No, I've come to announce to you that the good news that it's going to bring great joy is for all the people. That means today... Good news can reach your house. I feel good today. God was very intentional about who he delivered the news to first. Because see, nobody can heal this epidemic of emptiness, meaningless lives, and unfulfilled expectations like the Messiah coming and letting you know, I came just for you. And to people who didn't expect it, he showed up. How many of you know the Apostle Paul The Apostle Paul says that the kingdom of heaven is exactly like this. And the kingdom of God everywhere it goes is going to be just like this. Because when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, here's how he describes the kingdom. I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible. Verse 26 through 29, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Here's what it says. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hallowed pretenses of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. I want to know if I got any horn blowers here today because if I got any horn blowers here today, I hope you're blowing it for the fact that when you were nobody, God thought you were somebody and he wanted to come and give value to your nobodiness and let you know you were worthy of the son of God coming on your behalf because the good news is for all people. Somebody say that with me. Good news is for all people. 
I've got great news today. Listen to me closely. When God intersects your life, no matter how ordinary it is, when God shows up in an ordinary moment, that ordinary moment turns into something other than ordinariness. What is meant to be ordinary places becomes supernatural places. What is meant to be ordinary people becomes supernatural people. What was meant to be an ordinary day is turned into a day that forever marks your life. If you're Moses on the backside of a desert, thinking nobody cares about who you are and God shows up in a burning bush that ordinary ground becomes holy ground I came to talk to somebody today God is coming into your ordinariness to let you know he values your life it bothers me that somewhere along the line we have bought into an ideology that everybody has to be some kind of superhero. The truth of the matter is, is that some people in this room today, you may not be a prophet or an apostle or a preacher or a really smart Bible person, but God didn't choose to determine who he'd come to. He didn't come to people on pulpits. I feel good. He didn't come to people that knew all the church codes. He didn't come to people that had all their T's crossed and their I's dotted. He came to people that the world said they're outcasts, they're unimportant, they don't matter. Who cares what shepherds think because after all, they're nasty, they're untrustworthy, and they can't be believed. I'm looking for somebody in this room today that you're satisfied because he was willing to reach down his life for you. The truth of the matter is, I wonder how many people in this room today know that you were a good for nothing going your way to hell. Nobody. When Jesus interrupted your life and gave you a reason for living. Have I got anybody in the room today that is grateful that his good news is for all people? Hallelujah. Now watch this. When those shepherds heard that news, the Bible says the heavens lit up with angels singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards all men. Heaven was announcing, hold on to your seat. Heaven was announcing God through this son of his will bring peace to the earth. He will not be angry at mankind any longer. I don't care who teaches the Bible to you. Learn as much as you can. But anybody that tells you that God's ticked at people is not telling you the truth. Because he took his son and poured his wrath out on Jesus. Because through Jesus, every wall of partition that separated man from God has been broken down. And God is saying, I've got arms open wide. That's why we sang this morning, I'm running to your arms. I, I may not smell good. I may not even know how to behave. I may not have the right language, but I've got enough sense to know you're willing to love me in my nothingness and you're willing to give meaning to my meaninglessness so that I can become the man or woman he intended me to be. Now watch this. I'm trying to hurry. Good news is to all the people. 
Here's the second thing. Good news always produces great faith. Good news always produces great faith. Because the Bible says that these shepherds, when they heard the announcement, verse 15, it said, they said to themselves, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They didn't say we're going to go find out if it's true that it happened. They didn't say we're going to go see if it will happen. They said we heard heaven declare it. It's got to be there. They were not a part of the crowd that says, if I see it, I'll believe it. There's an element of people in this room today, God, if you just let me see something, I'd believe you. But here's how this works, darling. The truth of the matter is you don't see it and then believe it. The truth is you believe it and then you see it. Why? Because good news always produces great faith. When God tells you, I'm going to give you a purpose for your life, you may not know how that's going to happen. You may not know where it's going to come from. When God says, I'm going to pick you up from your broken places, I'm going to help you be restored from your mistakes. I'm going to help you be delivered from your sin. Everything that kept you bound up, I'm going to set you free from it. You may not know what day. It may be Wednesday or Thursday of next week. I don't know when. I just know he is. Hallelujah. Because he's not a man that that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. If I got anybody that believes the report of the Lord. I am going to go see this thing that God has done. Whew. We're living in a season right now. It's something powerful happens when ordinary people through simple faith believe God. I love it when people say to me, you know, so-and-so at our connection group prayed for me and I got healed. I ain't got no help. I'm going to preach over here. See, because I've lived long enough to know the 40,000 people that believe they had to run to the healing evangelist to get healed. They don't know who so-and-so was at the connection. I never have met her before, but she prayed for me and God healed me. Isn't that wonderful when God uses ordinary people and gives meaning to ordinary people's lives and lets the world know, I don't need a television evangelist and I don't need a bishop and I don't need a puppeteer in order to bring forth my kingdom. I just need somebody that in simple faith will say, I believe what I've heard and I'll act on what I know. I wish somebody would praise him like you believe he's going to use you in your ordinariness. Hallelujah! This is the season we're in as the body of Christ. Please hear me. This is the season we're in at the gate church. God's not looking for people that understand all the Hebrew and the Greek. They may not be homiletically correct and they may not be hermeneutically accurate but they've had an encounter with the God of heaven 
and the God of heaven has changed their life, filled up their empty soul and gave them a reason for living. And there's something about those kind of people that become contagious to the world they're living in. Because for every elite governor, there's thousands of ordinary people who say, I don't know why he did it, but he decided to touch my life. I'm looking for people here in this room today that are bold enough to still pray over their kids when they got a, got a fever. They'll go in their bedroom and lay hands on them and say, you know what, I, I am not anybody, but I am somebody in the kingdom because this ordinary lady, this ordinary man got touched by the power of God. I'm going to lay hands on my child and declare, fever, you got to leave him. You got to leave her. I'm looking for somebody that's bold enough to take oil to your office tomorrow and anoint your desk and say, them devils are not coming in here and messing with my life any longer. I know know who I am his good news has reached me I don't care how many Facebook followers you have or Instagram followers you may be a school teacher nobody knows your name you can be a homeschooling parent a construction worker or a mechanic at a local garage. You might be an engineer. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Just because you live an ordinary life, functioning at an ordinary job, does not mean your ordinary life has to be empty and lack meaning. Because God decided in heaven that he's going to give meaning to ordinariness. I feel like preaching today. I'm a little bit tired of how our culture keeps speaking down to people of faith. If you watch the media every day, they'll, they'll make you believe that if you believe in Christ or if you believe in God, somehow you're some kind of weak, meaningless, unintelligent, unsophisticated, lacking education kind of person. But I wish I could have television cameras in here today because I'd say to you, Mr. CNN and Mr. F Mr. Fox News and Mr. ABC and CBS and NBC, I don't have to be on your network to know what I believe. <laughs> I don't have to be on front of a television camera to believe my life is worth something. I may be raising a family and nobody may never know my name. But my house is not going to be a place devoid of the God of heaven. Because in my ordinariness, he reached down his hand, picked me up out of a place of emptiness, and gave me a reason for living. And I'm a part of a company of ordinary people who are doing supernatural things. I'm not despising my ordinariness. I'm shouting because he chose me to be worthy of his announcement. Have I got any ordinary people in the building? Here's what amazed me. These shepherds had a visitation from heaven. Were they afraid? You better believe it. But were they changed? Forever. Their fear was changed to faith. 
But watch this. When they got to be the announcers of the birth, oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna run by myself today. I wanna run because I know what I'm about to say. The Bible says they went into the city and told everybody what had happened. And then it says this, and after making the announcement, they returned to their sheepfold, praising and giving glory to God. I wish we could find people today that could have a major encounter with God and still be able to go back to work on Monday not feel like they got to be a prophet or a prophetess, an apostle or a bishop, just because God's used them in some way. We have removed from the local church, ladies and gentlemen, any kind of respect for ordinary people because we've put all the emphasis on a platform. I want to tell you something. I'm here to say we're changing this today. I don't want to be your daddy, but what I do want to know is that your kids believe you are their daddy and that when there's a need in that house, you're a man of God and you'll pray in the Holy Ghost and you'll lead them to Jesus and you'll show them the way there to walk in. I don't want you to have to bring them to the house of God for a youth pastor or a pastor to raise them I want to be a pastor that equips you but when the day is over I want you to go home and say I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that in my ordinariness he is able to complete what he gave to me am I helping anybody One of the things that's necessary